No. I'm not worried at all. I rely on God, Allah. Bismillah, alhamdulillah, wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, we're closing in on 30 episodes of the Life Hub podcast. Today is our 29th episode. And already in a short period of time, we've received tremendous support from students, from teachers, from community leaders. And today, our episode uh, is going to be highlighting the experiences the impressions that some of our videos have made on some of our students and our community leaders and they will share with you why they feel a particular episode a particular clip was meaningful for them and enjoy assalamu alaikum dr sayed and my fellow life Hug podcast listeners um i wanted to uh, first say dr sayed for these wonderful uh, podcast episodes. Uh, I'm actually in my car right now, and that's mostly because in addition to kind of listening to the podcast live, uh, usually I listen to it also on my way to work. Um, it's kind of nice because I'm able to get through usually an episode by the time I go back and forth from home. So it's really, really kind of nicely timed like that for me. But alhamdulillah. Um, one, uh, actually one clip I kind of wanted to talk about or one um, uh, portion of the podcast was when you had uh, Sheikh Daoud Walid on uh, who's uh, who's a speaker and activist that I actually really like I uh, love reading his book and uh, there's one um, there's one point in your interview where you guys are talking about um, uh, systemic racism and uh, institutionalized racism and one of the things that I think I really appreciated was the fact that um, we we kind of I think most people um, inherently believe everyone is out there to do good. We we inherently believe the goodness in others, and oftentimes we inherently believe in the justice of the systems that we're already living under. And so we automatically assume, yeah, the system's going to be watching out for me. But um, I think we don't realize sometimes of how. The cards, the deck is stacked against us, how um, there are systems in place to keep us where we are, um, and uh, the it's hard sometimes to kind of see that because the it, it happens in very subtle ways. So uh, I really appreciated um, you guys kind of highlighting that, and um, it, it was something that I think that uh, sometimes we forget about. So uh, one other news report I wanted to discuss with you, uh, Sheikh, is the uh, case with uh, Ahmad uh, Arbery. Yeah. So this has recently gotten a lot of attraction and attention. It occurred in February, though, so we're just getting more attention now because of a video that was leaked. For those of you who are not familiar, uh, this was a young man who was just going out for a jog in Georgia and uh, two men, a father and son, Gregory McMichael, Travis McMichael, chased him down, gunned him down. Uh, the video was actually recorded by one of the men chasing him. So uh, there was a, a second vehicle, and in that car was William Bryan, and he was recording that vi uh, the video. 
And this video only leaked recently. What happened was that apparently these people were boasting about this shooting, this killing online. Uh, they were sharing this video on social media and somebody leaked it. And so now after this video got leaked, it got more attention because it wasn't because uh, they were following up in terms of the justice of the situation, but it was the video that caused them to now be forced to look at the situation with some type of semblance of justice. And so this is, uh, again, when you see the video, I've seen the video, uh, Sheikh, I don't know if you've seen it. I want to get yeah, your I've comments it. soon. It's brutal. It's brutal. COVID-19, you can see, okay, it's indiscriminate. It's indiscriminate. And you accept it in a sense that there's like, uh, you don't know. It's not like it's discriminating uh, somebody based on their race or their religion or anything. It's out there. Everyone has to deal with it. But something like this, you know, subhanAllah, it's like that ayah in the Quran, that it's that evil that your own hand puts forth. So we get this evil result by an evil that our own hands put forth that is easily avoidable. There was There's no reason to chase somebody down and gun them down and to be that brutal, especially with one of them being a lawman. He was an investigator for the district attorney for over 30 years. So, uh, Sheikh, like uh, you obviously live, this is this is your community. This is, uh, America is your country. How do you process something like this? What are your thoughts on, on this case? Well, let me say that this is a quite American phenomenon, and this is nothing new. This is just something that got leaked to the public. And things like this have always taken place in America. And I heard about these things when I was a kid, and my dad heard about these things when he was a kid, or knew it happened to someone when he was a kid, and my grandfather and my great-grandfather. And as you mentioned that the video was leaked and that's the only reason why these uh, two guys are even locked up right now because the district attorney and the law enforcement knew, knew about it and they weren't gonna do anything about it. It's only after it went viral and there began to be some, some public pressure. So just imagine how many people have been shot that there was no video or that this guy who was an investigator working with the DA, how many cases did he work on before or, or, or young black men or Latino men or women who were shot or just mysteriously came up dead and they didn't uh, investigate it or ruled it justifiable homicide or, or suicide? We don't even know how, how many, right? But we do know this is a very, um, it, it's, it's sad, but it's not actually very, surprising and you know you're wearing a, a Malcolm X hat right now and Malcolm X famously said 55 years ago uh, before his his martyrdom uh, in February and 55 years ago he said that uh, people talk about down south but everywhere south of Canada is the south in America meaning mm -hmm. something like this would could easily happen in the state of Michigan which borders Canada so it's not something that's simply just down in Georgia. This is a, an, an American phenomenon. Uh, these, these people were civilians, but police do it all the time. Uh, and it, it, this one just got happened to be caught on tape. And I would also say that 
is not exactly a shoe-in that these two guys would be convicted because Georgia is what's called a stand-your-ground state. So if these guys can convince a jury, especially if it's an all-white jury, that they felt Mm -hmm. scared and that uh, he didn't stand still because this is what the the defense is, that he moved and they felt threatened so they shot him, that Mm -hmm. if they can can sell that to a jury – then these two guys will 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 get let go, just like George Zimmerman got let go for killing yes. Trayvon Martin. So it, 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 it seems like the the law is codified to allow for legal lynching. Yeah, no, it, 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 you're you're right. And when people also say the system is broken, Doctor Said, I say this: the system in America is not broken; is actually operating exactly how it was designed to operate. The system's not broken because this has happened for decades upon decades in America. And very rarely, it's actually an anomaly that when a, a white man kills a black man, that the blo- that the white man ever goes uh, to prison and gets convicted of, of murder. It, that's the anomaly. The overwhelming majority, so actually hist- the curve of American history or American history is actually on these two murderers' side of them getting let go. And I can't, like, stress that enough to the, the viewers in Canada. You, we, you, you should not assume that just because these guys were caught on film that they're going to do real jail time. As a matter of fact, they could get acquitted and sue the state for false prosecution. Mm. And, I, and I believe the, the way, as you mentioned, uh, this inherent corruption, like the first uh district attorney that took on the case knew knew him and so he had to recuse himself the second district attorney uh he he gave his opinion on the case saying that i believe it's self-defense it was later found out that his son knew the son so you knew the the younger mcmichael and uh so then he had to and then the third one who took on the case said uh initially we can't try this case until June, where we can get a grand jury together, and because of COVID, we can't do that right now. Yeah. And so until this became started be getting a lot of traction, the video got out there. I think Sean King tweeted about this. Uh, they discussed it on The Breakfast Club. And so they generated all this intention. And a person, he mentioned, uh, there was a tweet that somebody shared that said that, remember, that uh, they made this re- uh, arrest not because they saw the tape, they made this arrest because we saw the tape. And right. so because there was enough attention being given, then they went and made this arrest. But who knows? It could just be uh, a dog and pony show. I mean, we've seen this before so many times. I mean, um, when the New York Police Department choked and killed Eric Gardner, that was on video and that went viral. I mean, there's so many of these cases, right, uh, where... Uh, the police got acquitted um, when the guy in Minnesota who had the gun license and he told him, I have my gun. It's right there. And they, and they pulled and they killed him. And then that nothing happened to that cop. Right. That was like dismissed. And you have so many cases like this from civilians as well as cops where people get let go. And it's 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 an unfortunate reality of living in in the United States of America, especially if you're an African-American. Asalaamu Alaikum. I found this video where Dr. Said and Sheikh Murad discuss the importance of creating our will to be very important. 
One specific point that Sheikh Murad mentioned that resonated with me is how the Prophet emphasizes the Sahaba to create their will and also to keep it near them, signifying its importance. Often living here in Canada, we don't really think about creating our will. And often as people living on this earth, we don't really think about creating our will. However, in this video, Sheikh Murad and Dr. Sayyid emphasize its importance and talk about uh, the importance of how we need to talk about these topics like how much we have in our bank account, if we've loaned money to someone, if someone's loaned money from us, and really normalizing these conversations in our Muslim community. Truly, as Muslims, we don't know when we could leave this earth, and it's important that we create that will and put those measures in place. Inshallah, I hope you find this video as beneficial as I did. Jazakallah khair. So uh, now, Sheikh, uh, what are some uh, practical things uh, that we should be in preparation for? Because I think... Uh, again, a lot of it is in a materialistic sense, and I uh, discussed this uh, briefly uh, with my previous guest on the last podcast. But I believe there are a lot of things that we should be talking about in a in a very practical sense. So obviously, the Jummah issue was one issue that was being discussed, and that was a very practical issue in terms of our ibadah as Muslims. Uh, it's part of our um, our routine, and obviously, we know it's it's fard. But what about um, you know, Ramadan is going to be coming up. So what are some issues in regards to Ramadan that we should be aware about? Um, we should definitely be prepared for, because I know Muslims in the community that have died due to the illness. So uh, how is the janazah going to be affected by this? Is there going to be a different protocol, uh, you know, for washing the body, uh, for the funeral prayer? So, you know, these are some, I think, practical questions that... Uh, you know, maybe we should get uh, some insight. We have a lot of time. We need to prepare for it. Like even a will. A lot of people ha have never made a will. You know, they, uh, there's nothing in regards to that. And we know the hadith of Rasulullah of the importance of uh, of making wills. So, um, what are some ways now we can practically prepare for some of these issues? Because uh, if not now, then when? When are we going to talk about them? When are we going to discuss this? When are we going to prepare for it? Well, Sheikh, I, these issues are paramount, absolutely important, subhanAllah. And uh, we tend to only think of them when uh, a situation arises, when in fact it should be in our minds all the time. I'm talking about the will, the wasiyah. I'll start with that. As the Prophet wasallam informed their companions to have their wasiyah, their wills, written and near them. You know, wasiyatahu maktubatan indahu. So it's right beside them. So the description will be here showing that this should be so close to you, near to you all the time, that it's an indication of how important it is, right? So one should do or go to that extra length of having it written, documented, and uh, known to the to the family that I do have a wasiyah. That's one problem that I, that, you know, from, we've all experienced deaths within the family, subhanAllah. And sometimes when uh, members of, you know, families pass away, there, it's known that there was a wasiyah, but where is that wasiyah? Allahu A'lam. People were searching in the house, looking for it. And it's as if it was hidden in some nook or cranny. No one knows about it, subhanAllah. So that has, no, it has to be, it has to be something that people know of. It's clearly written and in a place where everyone can get to when the time is, you know, when the time is upon them, subhanAllah. So the wasiyah, it should be there. Now the wasiyah, the will itself, I mean, looking at different forms of wills. Uh, you have the Islamic will and you have the Canadian will. Uh, Islamic wills do hold up in the context of Canadian law as long as no one disputes it. 
So, you you know, in terms of the divisions, I'm talking more about the Islamic uh, laws of inheritance. Uh, when all the family is together and they agree to it, no one can say, no, we it's all not happen. It'll occur exactly as written in the document. If there's a dispute that arises, that's when an issue may come up and then they might take it back to the law and, uh, and divide it in accordance to that law and staff. Anyways, um, the will should document any money that you owe to others. This is an important thing. You know, people now, maybe on account of the economy, the situation, people might losing jobs, they have to document, I borrowed an X amount of money from so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, and then clarify uh, what he's given out. So if he's loaned something to someone, that those things be documented as well. Also to indicate where, which accounts, bank accounts that the person has, what is roughly in each account, so that you know people uh, wouldn't be stunned or shocked. There is something or there is, there is nothing. I would also advise people in a time like this, and it should be from before, that they, you know, add someone to their account who would, who would have access to the account, you know, just in case that something does happen, there is someone else there that can open the account and, you know, distribute the money, who's a trustworthy person, distributed properly in accordance to the uh, guidelines of the Islamic law. So that should be something we shouldn't be debating about. It should have been done yesterday. So if someone has not done this already, they should do it. If you're asking, where do I get the Islamic will from? There are tons out there. Like I said, even if you don't use a certain document uh, paper, just open up Word, write out these points, what you have, what you owe, uh, that counts, and you know, put down the witnesses, and then they can attest to it. That piece of paper should be should suffice as long as there's no dispute. Uh, I don't think you can go to uh, law offices right now because you know I think they're closed to an extent. Whatever the case, you can go about. There's a know. there's a lot of uh, work being done though um, through uh, just teleconference or you know this type of software. But the problem is is that in a legal sense, uh, you have to be there in person, and I think that's might be the restriction. I don't know if the legal um, system may ad like adapt or change for this crisis because a lot of things aren't changing. But I but I had a lawyer on just in the past episode. And, uh, you know, these are some of the uh, challenges is that, you know, you need somebody like in person and witnessing it and so forth. Yeah, so I mean, the time being, you can take by the road I've mentioned uh, just to document these things down so that no one's help would be lost and something owed to you would not be forgotten. Because when a person dies, the inheritance is everything they've left behind. And this is what I find really troubling because I've dealt with a few inheritance cases here uh, in the city, in, in Vancouver and Toronto. Where the thought is the inheritance only includes what's in the account. No, it's every single thing the person owns, even the dishes in the house. Those are sold, assessed, and then the money taken from that added to the inheritance. You know, this is the thing that people find, you know, I guess troubling. Is it, that's all? I said, yeah, every single thing has to be assessed, added to whatever the man has in terms of the accounts, the monies, and cash on hand. All of that is assessed. And then from that entire amount, we would divide the inheritance accordingly. In light of what we have in the Quran and Sunnah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu, Dr. Sayyid, and all our viewers who are listening in uh, to the Lifehack podcast. Jazakumullah um, khairan for all the amazing um, episodes that have been coming out so far. Uh, one one clip that I wanted to to mention and and um, you know bring to everyone's attention, uh, and this is something that when I heard this on the podcast. Um, 
live and then later on when I saw the clip, it really stood out to me as an important lesson and an important, um, you know, very relevant point for us as Muslims to know, especially in today's day and age, um, which which can help us in so many ways. And so this is a, a lesson kind of uh, mentioned by Sheikh Abdullah Hakim Quick. Uh, and it's a lesson learned from the Sahaba radiallahu anhu uh, about uh, a concept that he calls operational unity. And this is something that the Sahaba radiallahu anhu, they were able to emulate and, and do during their lifetime. And it allowed them to become successful, become, you know, have an unprecedented level of success that has never been seen before in human history. And that's by, you know, uh, being able to put aside their differences, being able to work together, being able to accept uh, the leadership of one another. Um, it's not let, like their egos and things get in the way. So, uh, you know, this is something that I think is very key, very relevant for us to know today when we try to look for unity, when we try to uh, face standing up against injustice, against oppression, um, you know, to establish, you know, a place of peace, a place of of uh, community and a sense of ummah for one for amongst each other and i feel like this is is kind of uh, a key lesson that we need to know in order to get there inshallah i mean so jazakumullah khairan assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh the next point is what i would call um a a a, a type of unity and, and 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 this is a type of unity you know where we accept the differences between ourselves Learn to accept differences. In other words, the companions of, of the Prophet ﷺ, you know, they were different, but they were together. I would call it operational unity. Mm. What is operate? Now, this is now, you know, you know the, the bread, the, the you know, meat and breads. This is the structure. What is oper operational unity? Operational unity is to be able to work with somebody who is slightly different than you, but you're part of the same group. In other words, if you look at how Muslims practice Islam, they focus on different aspects. Some focus on prayer, some focus on study, some focus on tabligh, they like to go out and, and give messages, some focus on dhikrullah, some focus on calling to the good and forbidding evil. There's so many different ways, but how do you work together? I'll give you an example. In the time of the Prophet Sallallahu his companions were different types of people. And for instance, Khalid ibn al-Walid, right? He was a tall warrior. and um, But he, he didn't memorize much Quran because he accepted Islam late. So when the companions were, you know, together and it's time for prayer and they look around, if they saw Khalid, they look for somebody else because he only knows Nas and Falak, you know, and a few, you know, different small chapters. Then they would look and they'd find somebody like Abdullahi ibn Mas'ud, he's a thin Yemeni man, okay, but he's the master of the Quran, mm. and so they, he would he would line up, they would line up, ibn Mas'ud is the Imam, and Khalid and other strong warriors are now following a thin small man, because in terms of the Quran he's a giant. Mm. See, it's operational unity. But after the prayer is over, when the enemies of Allah came on the scene, everybody would say, where's Khalid? Put him in the front. Now Khalid is in the front because he's the one to lead you against danger. You see, so they recognize the strength and weaknesses of each other. And I have said this in gatherings, and some people looked at me like, like I was crazy. 
And I said, you know, and I'm being straightforward. I, one time I was in the Jami Mosque. I was the Imam of the Jami Mosque for a while when there was only two masjids um, in Toronto. Mm. And we had the largest, you know, gathering maybe in the whole country. And I was going in between all the groups and all the nationalities. And because I'm none of the nationalities, I'm none of the groups, people accepted me. And, and, and I saw the division, petty division. And I stood up one day and I said, um, I have to make it clear. Abu Hanifa was not a Pakistani. And people said, whoa, like what's wrong with him? Something's wrong with his mind. He was an Arab. Then I said, uh, Imam Shafi was not a Somali. He was an Arab because we, we wear our madhab like a national identity, mm. not understanding that the Imams were students and teachers of each other. Mm. So this is operational unity, right? Being able to, to accept differences and still work together. Assalamu alaikum. This is a message to the Lifehug team. Uh, mashallah, you guys are doing some phenomenal work and some great content is coming out. Uh, I really wanted to share what episode is resonating with me the most. And actually, that's the episode with Dr. Nadvi. Specifically, that clip of him talking about the sunnah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and what that looks like today. You know, subhanAllah, the Qur'an... Um, just has a wealth of information. Um, you know, s- some of the verses that um, we often uh, connect with are, are, are perhaps the more uh, explicit one, the ones that uh, have more direct meaning. But that doesn't mean the Quran is void of um, a lot of deeper concepts and uh, explanations of how the world works. At, and, and many deeper concepts are explained and, and shared. Uh, in the Quran that oftentimes when we read those verses as as laymen, uh, we might not um, benefit from the entire meaning from it. But having Dr. Nadvi, mashallah, who, who has just a wealth of information and uh, such a deep understanding, going into those verses the way that he did, subhanAllah, was, was, was really profound. And he connected a lot of what's happening in the world today to those verses that, subhanAllah, I read, but I've never... Uh, understood them in the way that he was able to connect them to these real life um, situations. So, mashallah, uh, that that was quite phenomenal. Uh, it was a, a really solid iman-based response to the question, um, and I, I feel like it wasn't an explanation that was limited to Muslims. You know, that's another thing. Subhanallah, when we look at the Quran, sometimes uh, we feel that this is only a guide to the Muslims, but. The way that the Sheikh um, and Dr. Nadi, he responded to uh, that question by Dr. Sayyid ibn Iqbal uh, showed how Islam is truly universal for everyone. And he did um, an amazing job to answer that question. And I felt like that clip connected with me a lot. So, Jazakallah khair. Keep up the amazing work that you guys are doing. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless it. And looking forward to many more episodes that are coming out. Inshallah. Assalamu alaikum. So are there other sunnah that we can see in the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with us that we should make note of? And also, what is the sunnah way to successfully come out of this? Yes, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he gave in two uh, ayat in different places of Quran. He says when we give uh, control of universe to human, human being, right? 
and we when they are slipping from us so we give them warnings different warnings right coming one warning is coming by giving some kind of you know some hard time some kind of you know for example losing something some kind of losses and so on so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said when we uh, when they, they do this thing we send for them some reminders warnings and our purpose is we want to see them back we want to see them come back right but allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said those who lose this opportunity right and they ignore warnings what allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hatta idha farihu fatahna alayhim awwab kulli shay when they become happy with their own lifestyle and they forgot what they are reminded so allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we gave them everything in abundance we open every kind of opportunity in dunya but what happened hatta idha khaznahum baghtatan then we grab them in a in a second right mm-hmm. and they are not able for example to correct themselves so actually the sunnatullah is sunnatullah means what two things one of is law of nature right mm-hmm. and we we can discover it by our our scientific resources our own you know findings our experience of thousand and thousand years you know journey of humanity this law of nature is available for us but mm-hmm. mostly we ignore another part of law of nature which is law of morality Mm. law of morality is a eternal part of rise and fall of human journey human generations mm. mostly we think that our any nation they got rise because they have a good army they have a good resources right they have good leadership and they got down when they have they lost these thing no allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said no this is not the reason the reason is that when they really disconnected with their moral life right then the mm. rise of and fall issue is started so sunnatullah is actually mostly if i translate uh, sunnatullah in english i will say law of nature plus law of morality both okay. things and law of morality is only available by our revealed knowledge which given by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to anbiya the prophets are the source to explain to us what is the morality and how we follow it and our problem is our time that we actually become reluctant to go to guidance of allah we think mm. our science is enough for us right so we are following half of the gift of allah but we are ignoring the best part of gift which is given by allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in morality assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh the following reflection has been sent in by sister ani for her clip suggestion this clip describes what sheikh abu toba went through during his wrongful conviction his time in prison and the goals that he created for himself while in prison and his accomplishments thereafter i specifically chose this clip because of the great passion love and resilience the sheikh displayed for islam during such a trying period in his life they had taken his mushaf away yet the quran was provided to him through his family students and friends in the form of letters how he would cling to the verses sent to him is something that warms the heart His attitude of acceptance, gratefulness, and sheer appreciation for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed him with is an excellent example of when a heart is attached to the Qur'an and the Sunnah. It becomes humble and appreciative of all of the blessings upon it. His drive to learn the Ten Qur'at is simply amazing. Despite what he has gone through, he made a life goal for himself and then accomplished it after he was out of prison. That truly shows the resolve a person can have if they are truly committed to what they aspire to be. 
I personally connected to this clip as I am a strong believer in goal setting and working hard to achieve what you are set to do. I am awestruck by his passion for the deen and his determination to move forward even in the most difficult of times. Jazakumullah khairan. What I did when I first came out, I, I saw I made dua when I was in there because they took my mushaf for a mm. year. Okay? Mm. And I didn't have any mushaf. But some of my students used to write me Quran and my children would write me pages of Quran like it was a letter. And so, so that I would get Quran that way. You know, alhamdulillah. For, and those were my Canadian students as well. Alhamdulillah, they were sending me Quran. And some of my, my students in, in Ms. Uh, Sam in, in Texas, and they would send me Quran like that in my students. And I would be reading the Quran like that. So I said, you know what? I'm a half of Quran. I want to, when I get out, memorize all 10 qiraat. I hope I can do that. So when I got out, Sheikh Uthman Khan in, from Canada, he's up there oh. with you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he gave me, he heard that I wanted to do that. And he yeah. gave me the opportunity and he taught me the 10 qiraat. So the first thing I did as soon as I got out, I, I got connected to Sheikh Uthman Khan and I spent the next two years just studying, I'm sorry, three years with Sheikh Uthman Khan. The first three years I got out of prison, I was with Sheikh Uthman Khan. We went over the 10 Qiraat the first year. The second two years, we went over the 10 Qiraat in Kubra. And then I went with Sheikh Umar Khan, his brother, and I went over the four Shad. So it took me three and a half years to do those um, Qiraat, those 10, and then the four Shad with him. That was my rehab. Okay? That's, so, no, that's right. Going back to the Quran because it's a Shifa. Yeah. And that's the healing that I need in every every week, every time we're going through the Quran. Every we went through the Quran so many different times through all the different qira'a. Okay? And that's what, what I did. And I suggest anybody who's having, you know, spiritually emotional issues to go through the Quran. Okay? Mm. The Quran is a shifa. Mm. Okay? Surah Duha. It's a, it's it's the surah duha alam sadr. These are the cures for depression. Subhanallah. You know in these ayat, because what Allah is telling you in these in these particular ayat how to alleviate the the, the harm. Instead of talking about all the bad stuff, talk about all the good stuff that the ni'mah of Allah that has got you. Okay. Go to the poor person and feed them. Okay. Go to the person that doesn't have and give them. This will give you such a high. Mm. And it'll defeat that all those negative thoughts, right? Mm. And this is what these two surahs look at. You know, look at the, the beautiful morning time. Look at the night when it's peaceful. Your Lord has not is not angry at you. Mm. He ain't left you. You know? Mm. And and that hereafter is gonna be better for you. Okay? So mm. every one hardship you get so many yusura. So many yusura. So when you finish doing one act of ibadah, turn to another act of ibadah. As Imam Malik said, the ways to Allah are many. Some mm. people get there by dua. Some people get there by dhikr. Some people get there by fasting. Some people get there by standing at night, reading Quran, giving sadaqah, doing what you're doing right now, teaching. Mm. And so when you get, you know, a little bit bored with one, do another. Mm. Okay? And then we look at the na'alam nashra laka sadaq. Didn't Allah open your heart? You could be just like everybody else who's blind. Okay? Then he lift alleviate your burden that was going to break your back. And we've been through those situations. Mm -hmm. I can't never complain. 
every day is a holiday and every meal is a feast. Mm-hmm. I lived in that prison, in that isolation for three years and didn't know how long I was going to be there. Mm. Okay? So I'm Allah lifted that burden for me. What can I complain? Mm. How can I complain? I didn't do anything. The court could have rejected me. Mm. Right? Mm. So it's only by the mercy of Allah. If somebody wants, then I, I respond to them, even if it's just making and dua, dua, right? And so this is what we're supposed to do to alleviate those hardships, those wiswas of shaitan, mm. in my estimation, you know? Mm. And this is why I think that as a Muslim, we are obligated to be the most human people on the planet. Mm. The most human people on the planet. Mm. You know, no. Sheikh, uh, I would, you know, you're probably aware of it, but I'll remind you, the hadith of our Rasul in Sahih Muslim, where he says the person, the most person who had the most miserable life, you know, so much, you know that on the Yom Salama, Yom, Salama. Yeah. Allah says in the Quran, Allah SWT just dipped them in Jannah and asked them, did you ever have any hardship in your life? Did you have any distress? And he'll say, no, but Allah, I never had a single distress, you know? So I hope you to be, I make dua that you're in the highest place in Jannah, uh, Sheikh. And for me, uh, I don't think you're just an inspiration to Muslims. The world needs to look at you as an inspiration for what you endured. Because you were tortured, you were shown no humanity. Yet the system that caged you does not have the Adam's weight of the heart and the soul that you have shown. From what I see from you, that you could have came out of prison wanting to burn the world down. You know, like if you look at the protesters, they're trying to burn. They're just trying to burn everything. You came out. You could have had that hatred in your heart to burn everything down. But you came out. You took care of your family. Uh, you took the role of a teacher. Uh, you took the initiative to advise people and try to bring people together. You took the initiative to speak out against injustice. And I hope my dua is that you will be taken from amongst the abrar. That you'll be taken amongst the Ahlul Jannah. That that you will be taken amongst the Mukhlisin, the Salihin. You know, that's, this is my dua. That you'll be taken amongst these types of people. Because I want to, you know, let all those haters out there, who out there, that hate does not give you strength to endure. It doesn't. It you doesn't give you the strength to overcome, nor does it give you the strength to give. The next clip we have for you today is one with Imam Nadwi. Um, I found it particularly powerful because it really talked about the importance of linking our role in the world today as Da'is and um, what our relationship with Islam should be, particularly the point about um, us, you know, kind of going into this property dealership with Islam where it's like us versus them, we think we're better or you think you're better. Uh, I really appreciated that because it's about you know, deconstruction and going back to the fact that Islam is for everybody, Allah is for everybody, um, and that we shouldn't be, you know, trying to put inferiority and superiority levels in, in, into humans. And the other piece that I really appreciated was this greater allegory for the world, the fact that, um, you know, those with bad products are really good sellers and those with good products are really bad sellers. And I think that's particularly powerful because it really teaches us the way that the media distorts things and the fact that those who are the oppressors are shown to be saviors of humanity, even though they do not have anyone's best interests at heart. Anyway, he explains it much more eloquently than I could. So please take a look at the next clip.
second problem which happened that most of the time, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he reminded Bani Israel, he said, you have two duties. The first duty, you are chosen people, right, appointed people, but you have two duties. One thing, you do only worship to me alone. Don't do any worship to other, right? And second thing, and behave with people in a better way. Deal with people in a very proper way. Mm-hmm. What happened? They they got property ship of they got the ownership of God. And the God become their ownership. Right? Mm-hmm. First first thing they, they missed it. Second thing is they be, they behave with others with uh, with inferior level. Right? Mm-hmm. Superior or inferior. So same thing happened with Muslims, right? Muslims, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, you are the best nation, you are appointed as the savior of humanity. You are appointed to, to convey this message, to pass this message to humanity. What we did, we did a property dealership of Islam. My Nabi, Nabi is mine, right? Quran is mine, right? And Arabic is my language. And for example, Deen is mine, right? So what happened? We disconnected with the world. This is one thing. Second thing is that the history, of course, we have a always different kind of phases of history, right? One time, alhamdulillah, we were very, very, for example, victorious, and we were serving Islam and Muslim and humanity, right? But other time, we, for example, we become weak. So we lost our leadership for humanity, right? Other power came in front. And we have a different kind of, uh, you know, phases with them, uh, fighting, killing, or whatever. But I can say you, this is the first time in history, first time in history, mm. Muslims are capable to play the role of Dai. Mm. Not, not, for example, warrior. Not, for example, for example, fighter. Not, for example, enemy. No. Mm. So when you do Dawa, you need three things. First thing, you know what are you presenting, right? Mm. The material mm. of Dawa. Suppose I'm selling some fake thing. It will not work. Mm-hmm. I'm supposed to have a good stuff to present people, right? Second thing, my attitude is supposed to be at the die. I'm supposed to be well-wisher, right? Mm-hmm. And I win the trust of people, win the heart of people. Yes, this person is selling something good, and I actually buy, I want to buy from him, right? Mm-hmm. And the third thing, when I'm dealing with Madhu, or the person who I'm addressing, actually, I am not, for example, trying, for example, to grave his belongings for me. Actually, I am giving whatever I have, I have giving, I want to transfer it, right? Mm. So these things gone. So what has happened in our world this time, when the world is actually going to global, going to universal, right? It is going, for example, the world is, is just like become one village. But the problem is that the, the bad product, right, mm. is presented by best seller. Yes. Seller is very good. Product is very bad. What is the proof of it? Proof is that those people who are actually teasing, those who are, for example, taking everything from the pockets of people, they are well-wisher, right? They succeed to prove that they are well-wisher. We are serving you. We are your servant. Your democracy means you are the power. You you elect us. And for example, you do what you want, right? So selling is good, but the product is bad. The Muslim problem is that we are still hanging between me and you, right? Mm. We and mine. Yes. We 
supposed to we supposed to change this kind of uh, kind of understanding and we supposed to win the heart of people otherwise we have a best product for, for humanity mm. best product right yes. but only thing is we are not succeeded to present it in a good way assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh dr say hope you're doing well this is your brother omar and you're in a die hard life huck fan Make one asking a special request to talk to highlight that clip that spoke about symbolism in our deen. Because today I find that so many people are, you know, employing symbolism just for the sake of social media and it's making it worse, this social media business. So if you could talk about how, you know, show that clip because it really helped me realize that, that that's where we need to focus and rid ourselves and purify ourselves from symbolism in our faith and that will actually make a huge difference and everything else that uh, the ummah is able to do and me as an individual I'm able to do so I really appreciate that and you know what because you know personally speaking you know someone I, I realized how important the beard is it's not just a symbol and you know I had to intubate someone who was you know COVID positive so I had to take this off but I realized and, and miss it and I think that you know uh, it's not just a symbol so aqal is the ability to process knowledge, learn through experience or knowing it intuitively, innately, to control your desires, hawa, and act upon it in the right way, amal. Okay? So this is in a nutshell. And so there is a big difference between knowledge. There is a big difference between Ilm and aql. There's a big difference between knowledge and intelligence. In Surah Al-An'am, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in Ayah 20, those to whom we have given the scriptures, you know, meaning the Yahud and the Nasara, the Jews and the Christians, recognize Him, Muhammad Sallallahu as they recognize their own sons. Those who destroy themselves will not believe. So Allah is telling us that these people, they recognize the truth from the Messenger, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And there were many. There were many who recognized the truth. Uh, the uh, Safiya bint Huyayr Akhtab, she speaks about her father, uh, Huyayr uh, ibn Akhtab, uh, who recognized the Prophet. And he was speaking with his brother, her uncle, and he was asked, is it him? Is it the prophet? Yes. But he's going to be our enemy uh, till the end of time. We're going to be against him. We recognize him to be the truth, but we're going to be against him. So he had the knowledge, his scriptures foretold about Prophet Muhammad Wasallam, But he could not reign his, because intelligence, what did we say, is to reign in your desire. You know why? Because the prophet came from the Arab and not from the Yahud. So we, we can't follow him. Similarly with Abu Jahl. Abu Jahl's original nickname used to be Abu Al-Hakam. You know, the father of wisdom, the father of intelligence. And he became the father of ignorance. Why? Because when he was asked by him, to him, is he, do you believe he's a prophet? Yeah, he's a prophet, but his tribe, listen, they have taken over the responsibility of covering the Kaaba. They've taken the responsibility of Dara, uh, you know, uh, you know, Dara Nadwa, like the the council of the banner of war. They have the privilege of that. They have the privilege of providing for the pilgrims. 
we're not going to let them have the prophet. Now they say the prophet is from amongst them. No, no, that's we cannot have that because of tribalism. And so this is what happens to us is that you lose your way when you don't act upon the truth. You lose your way if you don't act upon knowledge. And similarly, you lose your way. You are unintelligent. You lose your aql if your knowledge becomes symbolic. If it it becomes symbolic. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala tells us in Surah Al-Jum'ah, so chapter 62, ayah 5 in the Quran, the likeness of those who are entrusted with the Torah but who subsequently failed in those obligations is the likeness of a donkey. So the likeness of a donkey who carries books on its back. That's the likeness, is that when your deen becomes symbolic, it doesn't benefit you. Knowledge, when it becomes symbolic, does not improve your intelligence when it becomes symbolic. You know, it's like, uh, for example, a medical doctor who tells his patients that uh, you need to have a good diet, a healthy diet, avoid uh, eating uh, foods that are harmful to you, and he himself doesn't do it. You know, he or she doesn't follow that advice. Then is that a person who's intelligent? They have knowledge. They're like a donkey carrying books on their back. And us as Muslims, are we intelligent? Do we have intelligence? Do we have intelligence? Are we intelligent people? We have we have deen, we have Islam, but why are we not benefiting from Islam? Is it because our knowledge has become symbolic? Are we unintelligent? Do we have the knowledge of the Quran? Do we have the knowledge of the hadith? Do we have the knowledge of generations of ulama? Yet these are just books that we are carrying on our back, just as a donkey would carry books, unknowingly what knowledge is within uh, on that donkey's back. Dr. Saeed and our Lifehack viewers. Um, one of my favorite things I got to say about the podcast is that everything is viewed through the lens of our beautiful Dean. It's not about appearing or trying to be woke, but truly looking at issues of today, a lot of social justice issues from our very essential Islamic filter. That's why this is one of my favorite life hack clips. Sheikh Yafa talks about the fallacy of, quote, reverse racism. And he uses not only his professional experiences, but some striking analogies and examples to really convey how reverse racism basically doesn't exist, particularly on a systemic level. He also talks about the very real impacts, um, the physical impacts on the body of intergenerational discrimination and trauma, which I found was very, very, very uh, striking and interesting um, and, and awful, really. Um, and that's kind of why this clip really spoke to me, because it, it, it really um, gives a very uh, important perspective on um, the roots of systemic racism and really allows you to think about um, the importance of understanding history and the structures that have built the current systems that we have in place. And how even now, when there's very tiny steps being taken to try to repair some of the inequities of the past, 
people often incorrectly view it as racism towards the dominant group. Um, I really loved the use of analogy of the race, which you'll see in a second, um, and just really like a lot of the statistics and the research, um, particularly, like I said, around the physical generational impacts of discrimination, um, these are really telling of how deeply rooted these issues are. So really, I, I think this clip is a message that everyone needs to hear particularly so we don't fall into the trap of some of these silly concepts like reverse racism. And just seeing that interaction between Dr. Sayyid and Sheikh Yafa, talking about these really important matters from an Islamic lens, um, ties it together so nicely. So uh, take a look. Sheikh Yafa, I want to get you into this. Uh, this systemic racism that we see on the education level and i know you're involved as well in terms of uh trying to educate and you know in in the area of uh, counseling and conflict management and all, all sorts of things do you see uh this perspective being shaped like this type of perspective like we are conditioned culturally to have certain outcomes for groups of people uh, what would you say Sheikh um uh, for example in in dalhousie university up till uh just a couple of years ago in Dalhousie University's uh, 200 years of history, they had not graduated more than three African Nova Scotians from the School of Medicine who had graduated and worked here in over 200 plus years, mm -hmm. right? And actually that was not by coincidence. One reason why they couldn't do that was that for somebody to be in this in, in the School of Medicine, you had to have a relative that had been in medicine. So mm. for you to actually come to come to Halifax, you have to have come to Halifax first when you first when we are when you were born. So pretty much I'm saying you can never come to Halifax. So and then they say it's not it is not uh, systemic. So it so the, the the medicine became a white profession. Nursing became a white profession. Every profession that has some kind of uh, prestige or money or uh, bring income, it became a, a, a white profession. So they limit the opportunity. So that is how it is really very systemic. And the system is struggling now even to make changes. Because me, I, I worked in the, in the health system for, for, for close to 11 years as a consultant for diversity and inclusion working mainly for First Nations people, African Nova Scotians, people with disabilities and new immigrants. And they're the, the changing the system as soon as you start talking, some people will come with this ridiculous idea of, of reverse racism, right? Mm. So they will say reverse racism. And what they mean by that is the, the, uh, the, the rules are not fair. So you cannot put, um, you cannot put practices and policies in place that will allow some other people also to gain equal opportunities. So they see that as reverse racism. But my argument was racism means I see myself as better than you. Do these people mm. actually see themselves as better than you? Mm. And in the Canadian Human Rights, Human Rights Act, it says that to introduce or to whatever the wording is, but to put in place uh, practices or system or policies that will reverse Historic discrimination mm. is not a discrimination in itself. Mm. We can't start the race while your feet are in the mud and you have mm. to travel five kilometers by, on the mud and I'm on, I'm on the plain, plain field 
and we are running and I do five laps and I come and when it is time to say, listen, you got to slow down. I say, no, well, it's the same rule. It is not the mm-hmm. same rule. It started, mm-hmm. we started on the wrong footing. We started mm-hmm. on, on equal footing. So we have to actually reverse that because mm-hmm. what happens if we don't is this thing, this racism, this discrimination, it doesn't only hurt. It doesn't only cause anger. It actually makes the body mutate. It causes, it causes changes in the body. Um, there was a documentary that was recorded in the United States, and this is this is uh, really telling. They found that women who migrate from Africa to the United States and give birth to children, their children, their birth weight and their health is as good as any white woman's child or any healthy child. Um, but the women who were born in the United States that have gone through centuries of uh, and generations of, of discrimination, they generally their babies are lighter, are less healthier. And they, the only variable they could find is these women that came from Africa, which is supposed to be uh, stereotypically poor and have nothing, the only variable is they never went through the extensive and lifelong discrimination mm-hmm. that the ones that were born in the United States went through. Right. Mm. So something has happened to the body of these people, these women, these poor women who grew through racism, fighting it, this microaggression every day, you know, wondering what somebody is going to say about you. But mm. it's, it's even telling than that, that the children of these African women, the continental African women, their children having gone through racism from childhood, they, when they give birth to children, their children have the same defect in general as the ones that have gone through historic racism. So for you to say it's not systemic or for you to say people are just complaining, it's really turning blind eyes into something that is extremely difficult to, 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 to handle. Jazakallah khair for all of those who've shared their reflections on the LifeHub podcast. Uh, it's been, uh, subhanAllah, a very uh, enriching experience trying to bring um, meaningful content to all of you uh, every single week. And we hope by the help of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the Father, the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well, that we will be able to continue to do that for all of you and that we can share in this khair, that we can share this goodness and we can have more people uh, get involved and contribute to the message that we're trying to spread to the world and as always remember share subscribe like stay engaged make dua for us uh, firstly and foremostly and uh, remember as always we live by the haq we die by the haq and just when you think life is stuck tune in to life haq assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Do I feel that the New York police are providing enough protection or do I have to have protection of my own? I look for protection from Allah.